The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line from the Committee for Geelong is the CEO, Jennifer Cromarty. Good morning. Good morning, Mitchell. How are you? And, and I'm so sad I can't come in the studio. I got one chance this year so far. I know. It's, uh, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Because I think we had um, six days or something where you didn't have to wear a mask in the office, in the workplace, and then, uh, bam, plunged, uh, plunged into lockdown. So it moves so quickly. Yes, I know. So I just thought I'd say hello and um, thanks for having me again. And, um, yeah, I hope that everything's okay where you are. Yeah, I think we're doing reasonably well. Happy to be out of lockdown, as are a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people are saying to me that this particular lockdown really took its toll and did so quite heavily. And I can even see just around me that um, there's signs of pressure showing in people that perhaps weren't there for the other lockdowns. And, you know, the mask wearing inside and everywhere outside, it's starting to take its toll on people, I think. Yeah, look, if we could take some time to talk about this. I mean, I think the last time we came on, obviously we weren't aware of this lockdown coming, but... The one before this one was already creating incredible strain, um, not just on businesses, but on people, families, you know, school-aged children, you know, young people trying to find their first job. And I think this last lockdown that we've had, which was, what, number five? Yep. It's just going to be absolutely um, imperative that in the next six to 12 months, we really reach out and support um, those businesses and people that need it most. While obviously we're looking at the incredibly serious situation in Sydney and I have a daughter and her husband who live in Sydney so I'm very conscious of what's going on in New South Wales but equally in Victoria you know those restrictions we're starting to now look at a staggering approach yet again of coming out but many of these businesses that I've spoken to are just at their wits end so I think um, you know from the committee for Geelong's perspective we've been talking to the Geelong Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Greater Geelong and the Ballerine and We want to um, talk to government in a very detailed way where they are clearly understanding the issues and give us a very clear guideline as to how we come out of this. And, um, yes, while the the federal government, sorry, has set some indicative vaccination targets, uh, I think I read last night that we're probably not even going to be close to hitting those till early in the new year. So it just means, what is it now, August? We've got the biggest period for retailers coming up November, December. How are we actually going to support our community through that? If, you know, we're still going to have significant potential restrictions, maybe more outbreaks with an incredibly, you know, contagious virus, as well as this tourism season that comes up, which is obviously a big part of a lot of hospitality and other arms of of retail that um, get a lot of boosted, you know, visitation. How are we actually going to position ourselves appropriately to support these businesses? This is huge, as you just mentioned. It's on people's faces. It's a conversation topic at every meeting I've been at. So I don't think there's an easy way out, but we need to keep talking to government. Yeah, I have no idea what the answer is because we're really just one set of removalists away from being into lockdown six. And a lot of people I know are already casting their minds to lockdown six. And a lot of people Mm. feel that it is inevitable. And I know businesses are even incorporating into some of their planning what's going to happen when the next lockdown happens, whenever that may be. Yeah, and look, in terms of, um, you know, my personal experience with, you know, we've been working from home. I think what we're going to really have to grapple with is the long-term ramifications of 
people being so isolated for so long in terms of whether they're working from home or just looking after children, all the things that happen when you are isolated. But also humans are creatures of habit. So we are already seeing that workers are now saying they will expect and demand flexibility in their work environment, which I'm not against, but I also think that we've got to now realise this is going to be a permanent thing. So globally, I think in New York, there was some pretty significant data about how not, you know, not, not a large percentage of workers are coming back to New York. So we're thinking about what that means for Geelong. You know, we may only ever have 50% or maybe even 60% of workers coming back to the city and that will only be maybe two or three days a week. So this really significantly challenges the way the CBD is going to be planned, um, you know, what effect it will have on those businesses that rely on those people. And sorry, Mike, if you can hear You're getting that, a lot of emails, emails, I'm guessing. <laughs> I might just get to shut that off. But, um, I wish I was that popular. Oh, don't. Um, but what I was going to say is that it really affects the way that we plan for the Central Geelong in the future. And these are the things that we are grappling with at the moment with the Central Geelong Framework Plan that's you know, obviously already been out for consultation. But, you know, th- th- these things are really not understood, as you say, and we may not understand fully the, the long-term effects of this for two, three, five years so I, I could talk, obviously, for quite some time about this, but one of the really big concerns we have is young people. And, you know, those those young people who have gone through year 10, 11, 12, the first years of their university who have been incredibly interrupted with their learning, number one. Number two, incredibly challenged by the lack of social engagement with their peers the inability for them to travel, to get new experiences, to even attend classes at university where part of the experience of going to university is meeting new people, you know, going out, um, making those connections where I, I know businesses were already talking about young people perhaps challenged with what we would call soft skills because mm. a lot of the engagement young people had pre-COVID were on social media, you know, through online forums with COVID, this has only been exacerbated because, of course, people haven't been able to connect physically. So I look at this and go, what is that actually going to mean to those young people who are now transitioning into their first, you know, work environment where, number one, they've had really challenging opportunities, whether it's in hospitality or retail, getting their first job, but then also the opportunity for them to get on the job training. So, you know, we're at the, at the Committee for Geelong, we're looking really closely at this challenge around, you know, the 16 to 25-year-old age group and what can we do to support the opportunities for those young people to get those skills that they need and the connections and networks they need to transition into employment. It is just a major concern. Because the risk is that you lose a whole generation. I was talking to a teacher late last week who takes a Year 12 class, and, of course, the Year 12 students this year have been through harsh lockdowns in Year 11, so their entire VCE has been disrupted by COVID. And she said some people in the class thrive under lockdown, and if they're still doing that subject in Year 12, they're doing it because they enjoy it. But there's other students, she said, that just go missing, which is a concern. Absolutely and this comes down to a whole range of things like what supports they have at home, everything from whether they're um, able to access internet appropriately, um, you know whether they've got an environment that's actually nurturing them and or whether they're say introverted or extroverted you know and we look at this and go it is so patently unfair that there are going to be um, swaths of young people who have had an inability to be the best that they can be and uh, it sounds a bit motherhood but 
I have a really deep concern about this and I know the government is looking at things like support through Headspace. So we're looking at wellbeing, we're looking at mental health. But a lot of that comes from just not having the ability just to connect with peers or, as I said, go out and meet people and develop the skills they need to be able to then transition into, you know, higher education, you know, into university or even into work. So there is some reports that came out. There's one I'm got slated to read this week that's come out federally about young people and there's a big survey that's been done but I've also commissioned a report by Bernadette O'Connor who did our work at the committee around the future of work so I said okay we've now got an action plan that we're working through there's a regional skills strategy that the Gordon and Deakin University are working hard on but at the same time we've gone look young people and this particular issue that we've discussed I've just asked Bernadette to write um, a report for me which I will read but looking at it very clearly that teacher is absolute point on I know there's lots of parents who are deeply concerned about their children's um, you know personal growth and their opportunities to contribute and you're right is it a generation that's now 10 20 years down the track going to have a long-term sense of whether it's trauma or whether it's just a lack of um, some social skills that's going to be really challenging for them. And in terms of the CBD issue, um, I was reading a report coming in from someone that's a bit of an expert in HR, and they were saying that um, some of the incentives that corporations are trying to offer to get their staff back into work, things like, she says, gym memberships, free coffee, Mm. ice cream Fridays, uh, they don't work. (laughs) The employees just much prefer flexibility over that. So at the end of the day, you're probably going to have to repurpose big parts of the CBD, all that office space for a start. But even the way that business functions in the CBD without all that foot traffic will change. Yes, and look, I've, I've written a few, you know, columns and, and spoken about this issue for some time because it's patently obvious this is absolutely going to change the way that we see cities. So I think we need to be quite innovative in terms of what we uh, consider the role of cities to be. They need to be a place because they have so much already there that is of value, things like transport connections, you know, cultural institutions, a lot of entertainment options. Um, Hopefully within the Geelong CBD, we see the attraction of green space. You know, that's only hopefully going to be um, more of an attractor as we develop the city. But cities themselves have so much value that if we don't come up with a way to leverage them properly, I think there's going to be such a huge societal shift where people are going to be much more at home in their suburbs. I think that's not a bad idea considering, you know, the Victorian government and other governments for a long time have tried to get this concept of a 10 or 15 minute city and so that people can work on a hub and spoke model. But at the same time, there is so much tremendous opportunity to invest in cities that, and I don't know if we talked about this last time, Mitchell, but this idea of postcode 3220, which Mm. is getting more people to live in the city, we need to be absolutely focused this on it's at least our number one or number two priority as we look at our CBD because we only have, what, 2,000 people who live in the city who have um, Central Geelong as their residential home. We need at least ten to 12,000 people and that means we need to make sure we've got mixed, you know, residential options, you know, whether it's apartment living, whether it's shop-top living, whether it's, you know, high-density kind of townhouse living, And this is where the Central Zong Framework Plan is actually looking at providing some of that opportunity. But 
the revitalising central Geelong action plans being refreshed as we speak and this idea of postcode 3220 is absolutely front and centre. So if we can get residents living in the city, we obviously then can create a, a more... Um, a larger retail market for our businesses, but also have safety and and activity and life in our cities 24-7. So how we do that is the the question and then how we actually get the money to do that. So state and federal government need to come to the party and we're not alone, but Geelong needs to be really out there campaigning on this like the City of Melbourne and Sally Cap is. I mean, Sally Cap is doing a tremendous job for the city of Melbourne and getting a lot of traction around what she needs for her city, but we need to do this in Geelong. I'm assuming a big part of that and incentivising people to move into the city is going to be repurposing perhaps some of that real estate that was previously commercial, like all that office space that may be sitting empty somehow is going to have to be repurposed to be residential. Not easy, but uh, increasing that stock availability that people can move into would obviously be a big step to getting people back into the CBD living there. Yes, and and it can be around affordable and social housing as well. We need the mix. So I know that the state government's got their big build and they're looking at a whole range of ways that we can actually use some, I suppose, buildings with their new builds. I think the only way we're going to get density in numbers is through new developments. So there's that new Holiday Inn that's being built in Ryrie Street, but next to it is a residential um, apartment complex, which I think wasn't originally on the cards, but is now because the demand is there. So if you're going to get people in the city, you need a combination of options. And my understanding is even if we started repurposing and having some shop-top living, that's probably only going to bring maybe a 1,000 people to the city. You know, we need bigger developments, we need mixed use, we need a lot more density and across the city. So, yeah, it's no easy fix, but we need to have the will, we need to understand why it's important, and then we need to get the funding to do it, as well as the incentives. And just last of all, one of the ideas, and this is all related to trying to get out of this situation as you talk about ending these lockdowns, but one of the ideas being thrown around today is cash payment incentives for people Mm. to go and get vaccinated. I think $300 if you get the vaccine. I'm just wondering what you think of that, because to me, I think it sends the wrong message and I probably wouldn't be in favour of it. But do you think it's a good idea and could it work? Well, I'd love to know why you think it's a problem. Because I think it sends the wrong message that we only do things like get vaccinated if there's <laughs> money involved, and obviously it sets a precedent down the track. Mm, it's an interesting one because I know in America, haven't they been doing things like get a beer at your local whatever? Um, and I know that there were some issues in Australia where that wasn't allowed. So I think we need to look at immunisation being absolutely the number one now, without standing quarantine hubs and safe passageways for international visitors, number one is getting vaccinated. And I think for us, the biggest issue is lack of supply, which I think everyone's aware of. Yes. But at the same time, there does seem to be a lot of reticence in, in a p- pretty significant part of our community. So if we're going to hit the targets we need, the bigger debate I have is around we don't have what other countries have well, fortunately, because we didn't have the big outbreaks, we don't have that natural herd immunity that they discussed. So vaccination is the only way we're actually going to feel as though we're going to be able to combat this as well as boosters. So I haven't formed a position, I think the Committee for Geelong's formed a position about incentives, but I think that they, the government needs to allow businesses, now they've got pharmacies. I don't understand why we haven't had that diverse opportunity through GPs, pharmacies and businesses to get vaccinated. It's just been through these... Um, big centralised kind of state hubs. So I think, number one, get vaccinated 100%. How people are incentivised, to be honest, I think let's do what we can to get people to get the jab in the arm 
To me, though, it's not just a one-off. We're going to constantly have to have boosters. So this is not a one-off. People need to consistently have the boosters as potentially more variants come. So if it's a $300 kind of incentive to get that first one, I think the issue we're facing, though, is supply. So can I tell you, if you want to go get Pfizer now, it's still pretty hard to get an appointment. Yes, so. Is. Yeah, so that's the biggest issue. Well, thanks for being on the program. Always good to catch up, and we'll talk to you again next month, hopefully in the studio. (laughs) Bye. Jennifer Cromedy with us there, the CEO of the Committee for Geelong. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.